As Aaron said, last week we launched this new five-part sermon series, really talking just about the church. And we wanted to do that in this season just because of, well, we all know this last year plus has been a unique time for the church, right? And for all of society. And we've been confronted with just the challenge of, of what it means to, to be the people of God and to, to walk through uh, remote services and, and distance time together and online platforms. And we just felt like as, as, as we're beginning to, to kind of come out of this pandemic season, it's a good time for us just to kind of reorientate and refix ourselves on what the church is, who we are as a people, remind ourselves of these foundational convictions and commitments. So that's our goal here over the next uh, few weeks. But today we're really going to focus on the Word in the life of the church. And when you think about the Bible... All of you probably hopefully brought your Bible today or look at it on your phone. When you think about the Bible, it is, it is really a spectacular book, is it not? You know, you likely know, it's probably no surprise to you, that this is the, the best-selling book in all of history. Polls have shown that, that probably upwards of 90% of American homes have a Bible in them somewhere. Many of your homes probably have multiple Bibles in various translations But if you were to ask kind of the average person on the street, what is the Bible? What is, what is this book? You're probably going to get a variety of answers, right? You're going to get some who, who would say, well, it's just merely an, an ancient religious text. It tells us of, of things that, that, that people thought happened in the past. Others would say, well, it's kind of a moral handbook that really tells you how to live your life. It gives you wisdom and insight. Others of a more skeptical bent might label it just a book of ancient fairy tales. Just old things that, that people believed years ago. Others would say, well, you know, we can't really believe it all, but uh, it, it has some good lessons for us. It's got some good truth and some, some really good things that could be helpful. We, we value it and kind of recognize it as a place. But some of that Old Testament stuff, you know, we, we might kind of set that aside. And then there are others who throughout history have boldly declared this book to be the very Word of God. It is a most amazing piece of literature, the Bible, which literally just means book, from the Greek word biblios. It means book. It's such a cool book that it doesn't even really have to have a cool title, right? It's just the book, and everybody knows what it is. At some point along the way, we, we decided to add holy to it to kind of spice it up a bit. It is a holy book. It's actually not just one book, but it is a book that is made up of many other books, a collection of 66 smaller books. And it contains a, a wide variety of literature, everything from ancient narrative stories to miraculous encounters with the divine and the spiritual. It's filled with poems, ancient Hebrew poetry, has songs that were written long ago. It's filled with prophetic visions, massive areas of ancient law code, historical accountings, personal letters written to groups of people and even individual people. 
has these crazy apocalyptic dreams that show up from time to time that have boggled people's minds for centuries. It really is a spectacular piece of literature, right? And even if you don't believe the Bible, maybe you come in here or not, not sure what this book really is, wrestling through, you know, can we, can we trust this? What, what, what do we think about this? Even if you don't believe it, you have to admit that it is the most fascinating piece of literature that's ever been produced. And it makes you kind of at least ask that if a book like this exists in our world, then maybe it's because someone wanted us to have this word. Like maybe this really is the word from someone who wanted to reveal themselves to us. And as we think about the church throughout history, and as we gather this morning, you can't go very far without talking about the Bible. And my goal this morning is not just to so much defend the Bible, it's, you know, historical reliability, it's internal consistency, or even the way that it has a self-authenticating nature. We could spend hours doing that. But my goal and desire this morning is, is, is really just to remind us as the church, as the people of God, of the central place of the Scriptures for us. So we want to look at the church through the lens of the Word. And I want to, I want to lay out just, just three foundational commitments and convictions that we have here as a church. And those things are first that, that, that the church is a people formed by the Word. And that the church is a people grounded on the Word. And that the church is a people growing in the Word. So our first foundation is that, that the church, that we are a people formed by the Word. Mark Dever wrote that God's Word has always been His chosen instrument to create, convict, convert, and conform His people. So to, so to look at the Bible as God's Word, first and foremost, tells us that the God that we worship, that we claim to follow, is a God who speaks. In Genesis chapter 1, we read... That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to tell us how He did that. In verse 3, it reads, And God said, let there be light. From the very beginning, God is a speaking God. His word is spoken and His will is accomplished. We see this in the creation and we recognize this throughout the whole story of the Bible. God rules and He works by His Word going forth. And it is by His, His very Word that He begins to reveal Himself to us. Remember as we just walked through the book of Exodus, and in chapter 3, what did God do with, with Moses in that, 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 that story of the burning bush? God essentially introduces Himself to Moses. He declares His name. says, I am God, we believe, is one who has revealed Himself to us. There's an ancient uh, proverb, I'm not sure where it originated, but it speaks of, of uh, four to six, it can vary, of, of these blind men who, who, who come upon an elephant 
And in their blindness, they're, they're seeking and searching to understand what this is. And in the parable, of, of uh, the, this is often depicted as, as, as the elephant is, is kind of God or truth in some sense, and the blind men is just all of us and all the various religions trying to, trying to make sense of this. And in the parable, one blind man comes and, and touches the leg of the elephant and says, well, it's like, it's like a tree. Another one grabs the trunk and says, well, it's like a, it's like a, a, a big serpent. Another one will, will go up against the, the side of the elephant and say, it's like a, it's like a big wall. Another one will grab its tail and say, it's like, like a rope. And in this, this parable, it's oftentimes depicted as this is, this is what religion is like. We're all just trying blindly to, to make sense of, of the world. And we all, we interpret it through our own kind of sense and perception and, and whatever we want it to be. And we can never really know it all, you know, from our own vantage point. And kind of the, it presents this kind of just pluralistic, fatalistic view of, of what religion and understanding truth is like. I heard one pastor profoundly state that that entire parable breaks down if the elephant speaks. If the elephant turns and says, hey, I'm an elephant. That's just my tail. I'm an elephant. And what, what Christianity has declared throughout its existence is that God has spoken. The elephant has spoken and he has declared himself to us. He has revealed himself. Certainly in the, in the general creation of the world, we can have a sense and, and understanding that there's something beyond us. That it declares the, the glory of a creator. But yet we, we're limited in understanding how much we can know about this God. And yet God has, in a very special and specific way, revealed himself to humanity through his word. <clears throat> In Exodus 34, we saw again more recently that, that God de declared His character and, and who He was to Moses and to His people when He said, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and one who is abounding in steadfast love. God reveals Himself. And He not only reveals Himself through His Word, but He also speaks to us of His purposes and His promises. After He created mankind, He didn't merely just send them on their way to kind of figure out what they were supposed to do. But He told them, He spoke a word to them and said, Go forth as My image bearers and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it. Represent Me in the world as you cultivate this world for My glory. And when man fell into sin and rebellion against God in the garden, God spoke a curse over the whole world. But he also in that moment declared a promise of hope. A hope that one day he would eventually crush the head of the serpent. God has told us his plans, his purposes in the world. And he declared to us that he was on a mission. A mission to gather a people to himself. So in Genesis 12, God calls out to Abraham and, and gives him a promise as he spoke a word of covenant faithfulness to Abraham and his offspring that he would multiply his family and ultimately bring a blessing to the whole world through his line. And so from that time, so long ago, when God called to Abraham, God has always been using his word to create his people. I've heard it said that the, it's often been a misnomer throughout history that, that the church kind of created the Bible. 
That the church just, just selected and created the Bible. But it's actually the other way around. It's actually God's Word that has always created God's people. And the whole, whole story of the Exodus is God calls Moses. He sets him forth as his mouthpiece as we studied over the last year. He brings them out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai, and what does he do? He, he enters into a covenant relationship with them as he delivers his law, his word to them in written form. And Israel becomes his covenant people by God's word being declared over them and inviting them into and how do they respond in that covenant ceremony? In Exodus 33, it says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Their relationship and who they were as a people was determined by the Word of God, creating them and marking them off as a people. The whole story of Israel is the record of God speaking to call and create a people who would represent Him. And then when the tabernacle was created, in the very center of that, in the most holy place, was the Ark of the Covenant. And as Matt Whitney so eloquently declared to us a few weeks back, what was in that box was the Word of God. And as God's presence dwelt in that place, His presence is mediated to His people through His Word. At one point in Israel's history, that Word of, of the law was actually lost for a season. And we have this amazing story in 2 Kings chapter 22 where King Josiah is ruling and he sends this priest Hilkiah actually to go and to, to count the money. And as he, as he goes in to the temple, what, is, what does he do? He, he stumbles upon and finds the book of the covenant. And he brings it and shows it to Josiah and Josiah reads it. And he is just undone. He is crushed by these, this word from God that re-enters the life of the community in response to the word being read both before Josiah as he presents it to the people. The nation turns from their idolatry. They repent. And they renew their covenant faithfulness to God and, 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 and re restore themselves as God's people ruled and determined by God's word. And the prophets over and over come and declare to the people of God the word of God warning them, calling them to covenant faithfulness. In Ezekiel 37, I, I, I was going to read this whole passage, but for time I had to cut it out. I'd encourage you, read Ezekiel 37 this week. It's this amazing, crazy vision that this valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel is one who calls and he goes and he sees this, this valley just full of, of, of dry, dead bones. And God calls out to him and, and, and tells him to, to prophesy over these bones, to speak to them, to speak the Word of God over, over the, the, these, these dead ones. And in this, in this vision, we get this, this sense and this, this image of the power of God's Word to bring about life. And in the, in the, in the story, the, the bones start to rattle as, as Ezekiel speaks over them and they, these, they start to come together in joints and, and, and ligaments start to form and flesh comes on these things. It's actually a pretty terrifying image if you think about it. But it's this beautiful image and declaration of the power of God's Word to bring about life. And to us, that Word has come in the message of the Gospel as it is a Word for us 
The gospel that we preach every week that we emphasize over and over is a message to us. It is a word declared to us. Gospel literally means good news. What do you do with news? You declare it. You share it. The gospel is a word that has come to us. A message that Jesus has come as the climactic conclusion and the completion of Israel's story. That their long-awaited hope of Messiah has been found in Him. The gospel is a word of hope to us that Jesus is King. He has ascended to His throne as He has conquered all of His enemies through His death on the cross through which He atoned for our sins. He covered us with His righteousness and He gathers us into His kingdom to rule and reign with Him. God's Word is the good news of the Gospel and the fulfillment of all of the Scriptures that ultimately has created His people, the church. We are a people brought together not because we had a great idea to set up a building and just get people every week to come together on Sundays and have good coffee and sing some songs. But we do this because God's Word has been spoken into human history that He has been on a mission to redeem a fallen humanity to Himself through the work of His Son. And His Word spoken to us has created His people And as the word of Jesus was entrusted to his apostles to to take that out to the ends of the world, we see that as they went out and they proclaimed the message that they had heard and they were witnesses to the life of Jesus, in Acts chapter 19 it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The church expanded and grew because the word of God went forth. Paul declared in Romans 10 that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. When he wrote to the Thessalonians, Paul said this, he said, I I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, that that we delivered to you, you you accepted it not as the Word of men, but what it really is, the Word of God. And it is that Word that is, is at work in you believers And Peter declared that that we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the abiding Word of God. This Word is the good news that was preached to you. We are here because the Gospel in, in so many different ways has come to us. As you look back and think back in your life where you first heard the message of the Gospel, the truth of the Scriptures, for many, maybe it was, it was as a young child in, in, in a Christian home through faithful parents declaring the gospel to you. Maybe it was in Sunday school as you grew up. For others, maybe it was much later in life. After searching and seeking for, for satisfaction and wholeness and, and, and answers in this world, maybe somebody at work shared this message with you. Maybe began to point you to this. But for all of us who, who claim the name of Jesus, who have brought, been brought into His church, at some point this message, this word has been spoken to us, has been received and accepted not merely as the words of man, but as the very word of God. And it is through His word that we as the church have been created and brought together. The church is a people formed by the Word. We do not create the Bible, but it's God's Word that has always created His people. 
Our second foundation is that we are also a people now grounded on the Word. As, as we gather, as we, as, as we move forward as a, as a church, what do we look for for how we should live as, as, as God's people in this world? We're not only created by the Word, but we continue to be grounded on the Word. And we would say that, that the church, that the, 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 as the, the church lives, the, 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 the Word forms the foundation of who we are. And then secondly, it is also the authority under which we sit. The Word of God, the Scriptures, is the foundation of our lives, our mission, our values. The things that Aaron declared when he got up here and introduced us as a church. Those things are not just arbitrary interests that, that we are particularly passionate about. But everything we do must be informed and guided by the Scriptures has to be born out of God's Word. God tells us what we're to be and, and how we are to live. The Word has to be the foundation, especially in a day and age in which there is so much around us that is shifting and moving culturally in the realm of morality, what it means to, to be uh, men and women, what it means to, 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 to live out our, our, our lives in this world. Everything around us is shifting so quickly. What do we look for as a rock-solid foundation to declare to us what is stable and what is true? On issues of, 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 of sexuality and justice and, and just everything that's going on, what do we look for as a source of truth? Do we hold steadfastly to the foundation of God's Word as that which guides us and informs us? Many years ago, I used to work in the uh, restoration industry dealing with uh, flood damage and fire damage, and particularly when I was out in Pennsylvania. We ran into this a lot where uh, oftentimes in heavy rainy seasons, the water table would rise and, and many basements would end up getting water in them. And we would go in and have to try to clean it up and, and, and figure out what was going on. And so often, how water began to intrude was that over time, cracks began to develop in the foundation. In either the, the, the concrete slab or the foundation walls, and over time, water would begin to seep into and, and flood into those houses. I think so, we are so often close in, 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 within the, the American church and the church broadly of, of, of losing the foundation of the gospel and cracks begin to form when, when we lose a focus on the scriptures, when we begin to, to, to lighten up on, on, on the truthfulness of the word to say, well, you know, that's not really, you know, relevant today within this cultural moment. I'm not sure that we can really, you know, continue to hold to that. Maybe we can flex on this issue or that issue. Maybe, maybe the Bible doesn't really speak into that. And there are many churches where the, where the foundation begins to crack and there is a, 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 a floodwaters that are coming that are going to destroy and undermine the church. I'm not saying that we are perfect, but, but, but our foundation and that which we stand on has to be the Scriptures. We have to stay true to it no matter what it says, whether that's convenient or accepted by the culture around us. Our first calling is faithfulness to God's Word. And it then functions as, as our authority, the, the, the authority under which we, we sit and we, we, we live our lives. Jesus declared that, that He ultimately was the head of the church. We as, as, as the pastors and leaders here only have authority as we, as we submit under the authority of Jesus as that is mediated through His Word. 
One of the hallmark kind of uh, doctrines that distinguished the Protestant church from the Catholic church in the Reformation in the 1500s was that of sola scriptura. This is, this is the, the belief and the conviction that, the, that only the Scriptures provide the ultimate authority for the church in all matters of faith and life. It doesn't mean that we don't look to other sources for insight, for wisdom, for discernment, for understanding the Scriptures. But what it does mean is that the ultimate, where everything ultimately ends, is with the Scriptures. Everything has to come back and be rooted on God's Word. We don't have the authority to add to it. We don't have the authority to take away from it. We are called merely to proclaim it and call us all to faithfulness to God by obedience to it. We believe that as the Bible is given as God's holy word, a word from a perfect and holy God, it is inerrant in all that it desires to speak to. It is a miraculous book that has been brought together by God's sovereign guidance It is the product of the inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit. As He worked through various people, He used the most ordinary means of human communication, used written language to deliver, to compile, and to preserve this Word through a long and complex community history and transmission. And He has given us this Word preserved for us so that we can firmly plant our feet upon it and under which we can joyfully submit our lives. And so practically speaking, what does this mean for us as a church? At the crossing, this kind of conviction and commitment to understanding what the Bible is actually shapes the way that we teach and ultimately how we preach here at the crossing. So we believe that the best way for us to be faithful to God's Word is actually to, to, to do expositional preaching, which is just a fancy way of saying that we believe it's our, our goal to, to take the, the Word of God, the Scriptures, and expose them to lay out the meaning of the text. Then ultimately to, to try to discern as God's people what that means and how that applies to us today. And that is why our default approach to preaching is actually through consistent study through books of the Bible consecutively. So what we're doing this morning, what, what I'm doing this morning is actually very abnormal for us, right? Like, like normally we would come and, 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 and preach directly from the text. I'm, I'm speaking more roughly generally about the Bible, but our commitment is to speak from the text of Scripture, to expose and, and, and lay that meaning out for us. And I'm not saying that, uh, that there's not a place for some kind of topical preaching. Certainly there's a time in which we, we, can, we can look at the whole of Scripture and see what it says about a specific issue or a topic. But probably you're not going to come here, we're not going to roll out a sermon on five ways to find a happier life. Or how to deal with your toxic relationships. Or we're not going to sit here and kind of try to, you know, give critique on, on modern movies. And it's, it's, it's ultimately, when, when we gather and what our sermon series are going to look like, it's going to look like Exodus, the Gospel of John, Ephesians. And, and, and the reason for that isn't because we're just lazy and lack creativity. Like, 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 like it's, it's totally fine to have a creative you know, slogan for your sermon series or whatever, but, but at the end of the day, we, we simply don't believe that we have to spice up the Bible 
that we have to uh, kind of make it palatable within our culture and make it relevant. We want to, we want to give the Scriptures just, just as they are. To look to the Word, not to give our, our, our particular spin on them. So we want to walk through Scripture consecutively over the long haul, believing that it is God's Word that will do its work in our lives. Preaching through books of the Bible actually forces us and pushes us to deal with the hard parts of Scripture. To deal with the things that maybe aren't as culturally relevant, that are difficult to deal with. We're not called here to give a religious TED Talk or a message of self-help. In fact, the Gospel is a message of anti-self-help. That you cannot help yourself and that you need to cast yourself on the grace of God to save and redeem you. So we come weekly in here in our lives to sit under the whole counsel of God. We are a people who are grounded on God's Word. It is our foundation and it is the authority under which we submit all of our lives. We will not do that perfectly, but that is the trajectory and the commitment that we want to pursue. Last point. i got to hurry. Is that we are a people growing in the Word. A people growing in the Word. Over the past year, um, I've spent a lot of time reading through the pastoral epistles. Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. And uh, as this past year has just been filled with many challenges. These books have been very relevant and spoken to me in a unique way. And as Timothy was a young church leader, he's facing all sorts of challenges both within the church and outside the church. And Paul writes to encourage him to remain faithful to his calling. And he challenges him as a steadfast leader. And the thrust of Paul's charge to Timothy in his letters is not for Timothy to embark on a building campaign for the church It's not to launch a new student ministry or to hire a new worship leader. All of those things may be good things and things we should consider and think about from time to time. But Paul's central charge to Timothy in his letters, amidst the challenges that Timothy was facing, is this. It's to remain faithful to the regular proclamation of the Word of God, to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. He warns Timothy not to get caught up in in silly arguments. He warns him that people are going to fall away from the truth and that they're going to influence others to do that. And so he tells him in 1 Timothy, in his first letter, he says, Timothy, until I come to you, give yourself faithfully to the regular public reading of God's Word, to teaching and exhortation. He tells him, remain faithful to the Word of God, Timothy. No matter what's going on around you, commit to that. That's what's going to change and transform lives. In his second letter, he wrote to Timothy like this, and he said, Timothy, if if you desire to live godly, then guess what? You're going to face persecution. You're going to face hard times. He says evil people and imposters are going to go on from bad to worse. Things are going to get hard. They're going to deceive and, and deceive others. But as for you, he says, continue in what you have learned, what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from, a ch- from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You're well acquainted and, and well versed in the, in the Old Testament Scriptures. He says that they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he continues to encourage Timothy by saying, Timothy, remember all of Scripture, this book that I'm telling you about, 
All Scripture is breathed out by God. And therefore, it's profitable. It's useful. It's helpful for these purposes. He says it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And he says, Timothy, if I can leave you with something, if I can give you one charge, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. The one who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, he says, preach the word. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and teaching. Because the time's coming where people are not going to endure sound teaching, but they're going to have itching ears and, and try to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit whatever they message they want to hear. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth. So Timothy, stay faithful to God's Word. And in this passage, he gives him a rock-solid reason to stay committed to the faithful proclamation of God's Word. It is because Scripture is God-breathed. It's given by the very breath of God. It is a very human book as you will encounter as you read it, but there is a divine author that stands behind it who has given us His message leading to our salvation. As we begin reading in Isaiah 55, the passage tells us and gives this, this illustration of what the Word of God is like. And as, as rain and snow falls to the earth and waters the ground, it brings forth and sprouts. It says that's just how the Word of God is when it is declared. When it goes forth, it will accomplish God's purposes. When my wife and I moved into our house a few years ago, there was already prepared for us on the, in the backyard five pretty big garden boxes. And uh, we decided, well, since they're already there, we might as well live into our last name and uh, start growing things. And so... We, uh, we've, we've been doing that for the last few years, and, and, and it's been great. My wife has really enjoyed it, uh, growing vegetables in the backyard. And every year around this time, just even a couple weeks ago, she, she's planted for the, for the first time into the spring season. She goes out there, digs in the ground, plants, waters the ground, and you wait. Even a few days ago, she was like, man, it's been a week, and there's, there, nothing's coming up. Is it going to happen? Starts to get anxious. Is it going to work? There's something happening in the soil that we can't see. As the water has come down, as the sun is shining and those seeds are, are beginning to germinate, we trust that, 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 that eventually those things are going to sprout. We're not sure when and how, but, but we know that the process is going to work. And that's how it is with God's Word. That it will accomplish God's purposes in our lives. If you're tempted to give up on God's Word, just remain faithful, commit to God's Word because it is at work in you. It is at work within us. It will not fail to fulfill its purposes. The purpose to teach us. To show us what is true. To bring reproof. To, to really point out and call out in our lives where we are not living in line with God's purpose for us as His people. It brings correction to, to point us back on track with how we should live. It will bring training in your life. Stamina and endurance to, to bear up under whatever you face in life and ultimately for the, the final purpose that you will be equipped. It will be a church that is equipped for every good work 
to make a difference in the world, in our communities, and the spheres of influence around us. If we want to impact this world like the early church did, then we have to be a people who are growing and committed to the Word of God. So as I quickly close this out with kind of a final application, my, my temptation was to say just read your Bible. I kept coming to, coming to mind this uh, little kid song back in the day that I used to, we used to sing in VBS or whatever. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Anybody hear that one? Maybe, maybe two or three. Yes. We used to, they used to like put a giraffe on a stick and like put it up as like growing. Churches do weird things, but, uh, anyway, um, and yeah, there's a, there's a message. Like everybody, any week we could say that. Yeah, read your Bible. We, we, we all know that. And rather than just say read your Bible, like, like I just want to charge us as God's people to love the Word. To, to love that, that this is God's message to us. He has spoken to us to know Him. To change us. We spend so much time spinning our wheels, wrestling through life and all the different things and we, we fail to turn to this book and just let it do its work in our lives. To meditate on it. You're not going to figure it out all at once. You're going to have a bunch, bunch of really difficult questions to answer and that's okay. But God is doing something through His work as it goes into our lives, as that seed is planted, as it works and waits and waits for fruit to be born in us. Love the Word in your life. I have just these five quick L's for us as a point of application very quickly. Love the Word in your life. Do you believe that the Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? Learn the Word in community. Commit to coming and hearing God's Word preached as we gather together to sit under the proclamation of God's Word. So what we do every week as we gather is so crucial, so important to as a community to learn to understand the Scriptures together in your life group when you're doing a Bible study together. Study it in the week. Come and, and ready to engage and to, to ask questions, to share, and to, and to learn the Word together. Get into a journey group with people. Invite someone in your life group to, to just meet together regularly and, and get in the Word together. If you're not sure how to do that, um, out on our bookstall, there's, there's a great little book called One-to-One -one Bible Reading. Get that book. Get with someone and just learn the Word together. We need each other to, to sharpen each other, to challenge us, to, to help us wrestle through the difficult parts of Scripture. Learn the Word in community. Lift up the Word in your homes. Pursue patterns of, of, of family worship, whatever that can look like. That can look a thousand different ways. But lift up the Word in your homes. Fathers, take the lead. Wash over your family with the Word. When you gather at the table, read just a, just a verse, a passage. Let the Scriptures be central in your life. Put it on your walls. Rather than that clever, clever little statement on your letterboard, put a Scripture verse on there that will, will remind you as, you, as you as you walk out the door. Lift up the Word in your homes. Mothers here. Mothers oftentimes bear just a heavy weight of, of, of guilt, of fail, feeling like a failure, like we're never doing enough. And I, I, I get that. I recognize that. And my, my, my goal is not to put more on you, but it's just to call you to remember that, that amidst everything that you do, the greatest thing that you can give to your children is to present and give them the Word of God faithfully and regularly in your home. This is a testament even in Timothy's life. 
As he declared, from a child, you, you knew the Holy Scriptures. And in 2 Timothy, also commends both Timothy's mother and his grandmother for their faith and their faithfulness to the Word and teaching that to Timothy produce fruit in his life. Mothers and fathers, lift up the Word in our homes. Live the Word in your relationships. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul and spirit. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Let the Word pierce into your heart to change you, to shape you, to convict you of how you've loved your spouse wrongly, how you've complained and been bitter against your coworkers, or you've just been angry at the world over this last year. Let the Word convict you, let it shape you, let it work itself in you, and live it out in your relationships. And lastly, church, let's lean on the Bible and on God's Word in our fight against sin. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. As we pursue to be the community that God calls us to be, let's press into the word to shape us as the community that God has called us to be. We are a people formed by God's word. We are a people grounded on God's word. And we are a people who are growing in God's word. I've always been struck by the Apostle Paul's words is farewell address to the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He had spent three years laboring hard with this church and with these leaders, just, just pouring out his life for them. And he's about to leave and there's tears in this scene and, 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 and he's just sharing with them one, some final words. And as a pastor, this just always strikes me of, is if there's one thing that I want to characterize my ministry and, and our ministry to you, it is, is the same heart. Where he says, but I don't account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace. And now behold, I, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom uh, that, uh, that I'll see your face again. But he says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And that is my heart as a pastor. I know that's our pastoral team's heart is that, that we will fail you in many ways. We will not be perfect leaders and perfect pastors, but our, our rock solid commitment and desire is to faithfully, for however long God allows this church to exist, to faithfully proclaim and teach the whole counsel of God because it is the power of God through His Word that will change and transform us into the community that God wants us to be, to be a light in this dark world. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank You for Your Word, that it is a lamp to our feet, it is a light to our path, it is that which leads us to know You, to love You more. Apart from Your Word, we are lost. Apart from a moving of Your Spirit, we are blind. But You have spoken to us, and you have revealed yourself to us. Let us be a people who cling to this truth that we do not let these, this book just sit on our shelves, but let it be that which illuminates all areas of our life. Let it be that which shapes us as a church, as a community. We cry out in dependence on you and on your spirit. Only you can do this work. But we trust that your word will go forth and it will accomplish its purpose in our lives and in the world. So we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.